Welcome back to the After Everything Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Cleveland. On today's episode, Gabe and MDV, they're actually here at our NC Fit Campbell location. We're diving into a podcast, talking about fitness, talking about CrossFit games, talking about an internal competition we're actually having at the gym. That's one of the reasons why they came into town. Super excited for any gym owner or coach listening. We're going to dive into how to run a successful competition with Nikki, our operations manager, and Frankie, who just did an incredible job really putting together an awesome event that just happened here at NC Fit. So stay tuned on the podcast for an in-depth conversation on how to run an internal competition. The guys and I just get after all kinds of conversation about life, about fitness. Sit back, relax, enjoy this one. Maybe get after your workout. If you enjoy it, simple ask. Go back, listen to other shows. And if you really like those two, tell a friend about it. Keep getting after it. Keep training hard. Let's dive into a great episode with Gabe and MDV. Let's go. I really enjoy coffee every day. Like it's part of like what I really like about life. Sure. Yeah. And I really enjoy drinking a couple of glasses of wine. Like not crazy. Maybe I'll have like one or two glasses of wine a week tops. If I had to put a challenge on myself, it'd be like, stop ordering food. Stop ordering DoorDash for a, a month. That would be challenging for me. Yeah. I think for me, the no recording? coffee for a month would be really difficult. Are we recording? Yeah, we're recording. Okay. <laughs> Good to oh, know. We're, we're recording? Hot yeah. mic. Oh, hot mic. Yeah. Uh, no, I think for me, it would, be, it, would be, uh, it would be getting rid of coffee for a month. That'd be tough. And I understand why, like, why people would be like, oh, can you do it? as like an exercise in discipline and like, you know, um, restraint or, um, depriving yourself of something that you rely on. But coffee is so enjoyable for me as like a morning ritual, as like a comfort mechanism, as like part of, it almost is like part of the fiber of who I am is drinking a cup of hot black coffee yeah. every day yeah. and just loving it. Like, why would I, why would I intentionally deprive myself of that for a month's period of time in, in this short window that I have of being alive. It's not like, you know, porn addiction or something like that, or like heroin or whatever. Like, it's like, <laughs> this is something that I fucking like really, really love to do every day. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with drinking coffee. The reason I would do it again, cause I've done it in the past is like, I was just saying, you know, I, I got a headache because I didn't have my cup of coffee this morning. I get to the point where I'm very reliant on like a super strong cup of coffee in the morning. Yeah. So it's a good reset for me, but I'm, I'm, I'm like you, like mm. I just enjoy coffee. Like I would even I think if I would do it again, like maybe find like good decaf to do for a month. Like I'm not cutting up coffee. And it's also for me, not like a, do I have the discipline to do it? I just think that I get to the point where I'm like, I really need the caffeine in the morning. So it'd be mm. nice to like not have it and just kind of like level reset. It's the morning it. ritual for me, dude. Like, yeah, there's probably the caffeine effect. It does kind of open your eyes though. Cause like you just flew in from Texas this morning and it does open your eyes to the fact that if you don't get coffee, how you're, um, how you start to get a headache. Like yeah. it's, it, it, there is some type of impact on your body. Right. Yeah. But I think for me, man, like, dude, like this morning, for example, and every morning, like I just have my ritual. Like it's like you hit the gym, you hit the plunge, you go have a cup of coffee and it just, it just starts my day off really well. And I just, I don't know. There's something habitual about it that I just love. Dude, hot coffee after the cold plunge Dude. is the best feeling in the world. So when we were here in Santa Cruz, um, oh, staying in the dude, airstream, the ocean and then you get out. Oh, oh dude, it was like <laughs> the best way to start the day. Like there's no better feeling. Dude, so for those of you guys who are watching this on video, we're in like a new makeshift uh, podcast room that we're, we're slowly developing. And on camp, you could see our pig. So from the 2013 CrossFit Games, um, I actually was able to drive home the pig from that event. And so it's here. It's in the, it's in the new podcast room. And um, we're going we're gonna to slowly but surely make this place pretty legit. So if you're watching this on YouTube, make sure to check it out. Um, but if you're just listening to this, um, we're going to riff about a bunch of different things. Um, MDV and Gabe are in town. I just got done um, testing out one of the workouts actually from today. And um, yeah, we're talking about coffee. <laughs> That's it. Well, what we, we got to talk about the workout now because the workout was on a 15-minute running clock, complete 150 wall balls, 20 for the gentlemen, 14 pounds for the ladies, and then 75 hang power cleans, 115 pounds for the gentlemen, 75 pounds for the ladies. And you could break up that amount of work however you want across the 15 minutes. It's just get it done. So you have the Karen workout, it's 150 wall balls, and then you have 75 hang power cleans. And the time to beat this morning that oh, was yeah. put up uh, by one of the members was around 12 minutes, which is 
pretty. It sounded really fast. Sounded fast. Did you beat it? Yeah. And so before the workout, it was um, it was your choice of either a power or squat clean into a hang squat clean. Mm. So I chose the power clean. The reason why I chose the power clean was because when you go from a squat clean into a hang squat clean, in theory, you'd say, oh, you could put up more weight in theory because you get to receive underneath the bar on that first um, pull. But what I find is that it smokes out your legs. So I power cleaned my first one, then squat cleaned the hang. That's what I did. And I worked up to, you know, I think I worked, I worked up to 275 this morning, which felt pretty good. And then afterwards the workout, um, I was trying to shoot for that 12 minute mark. I thought that sounded really fast because you figure Karen done fast is like, let's just say six minutes, five minutes, whatever. And then, uh, 75 hang power cleans. I thought would be really whatever. But in reality, those were much quicker than I anticipated. Yeah. Breaking it down. Once you, once you kind of articulate the Karen score, because, Oh man, what what did you end up breaking it up as? Did you end up I doing did like 30, a thirty wall 30 balls, and fifteen? Yeah, and I did five rounds, yeah. and it took me nine minutes. Yeah, that's probably the way I would go too. Around thirty wall balls, a set that you could constantly repeat. You're gonna be able to get off the wall ball, go right to the uh, hang power clean. You probably have some leftover leg fatigue, a little bit on the hang power clean because of the the wall ball, but you're gonna cycle that bar pretty fast at one fifteen, and you did all those unbroken, right? Um, I think I put down the bar once. Yeah. Dude, wall balls were always the movement that if I saw it in a workout, man, it was like defeating. Really? I'm just so bad at it. Dude, they're, 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 they are tough. They're in tough. general, in general, like just squat, um, endurance, like endurance in that movement pattern mm. for me has always, always been a struggle. That's really interesting. When I was coaching back at CrossFit New England, uh, Heather Bergeron, when she was at the peak of her, like, CrossFit Games career and really, really fit. She's still really, really fit. But one of the movements that would always really be like a goat for her, like it would break her down, was just ab mat sit-ups. <laughs> and I, 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 yeah, I, I, it was very interesting to me. Like her midline would always get very, very tired through doing ab mat sit-ups. And I remember thinking, I was like, oh man, like it, it's, it's such an interesting um, movement to, to be like something that limits you. Yeah, I think, well, at that point, she had had a few children, right? She, yeah, she had already had a couple of kids. She had uh, Jonah and Maya at that point, her two oldest, but I don't think she had any of the, the newer kids. Okay. Yeah. I mean, dude, the thing about wall balls is it's like leg stamina. So like one of the things I would do for a long time training for the CrossFit Games, I'd add in 300 air squats a week and just to build up the leg stamina, because once your leg stamina goes, like you feel it on the assault bike, you feel it different mm-hmm. areas, you're screwed. And wall ball is a great example. Like when you have no more drive out of that bottom position, it's really hard to get your shoulders engaged and to throw that ball up there. Um, so yeah, the wall balls were tough today. I'd say that was obviously the harder part of the workout for sure. <laughs> yeah. I was always like surprised and it's, it's, it's interesting to think how some of the movements that we're super familiar with in the functional fitness space, maybe don't translate exactly to other things. And what I mean by that is like, I come from a super long and very successful like cycling background. So you would think that something that was like leg stamina, cause also it's not like you're throwing up like a 50 pound wall yeah. ball. It's relatively light. Mm. It was always interesting to me that I just couldn't get that move. Well, like 20 it, it, it would, makes it, would a difference. it would eat me up. But you know, like I remember when we were, you know, doing the Peloton a bunch of times, like for anyone that has done a Peloton ride, like being able to get 600 watts in a 30 minute class, Legit. like, is legit yeah and that like i i could do very well on the bike but for some reason you know give me a 20 pound med ball to throw it to a 10 foot target and like i melt well it's adding that external load you know like um when you go from even a if it's pound, small right like, yeah even when you if go it's from a 20 pound to yeah. 25 or 25 to 30 it's like exponentially harder to go from a 20 pound wall ball to a 30 pound wall ball and i saw this you know we talked about this with the customs and border protection others that i work with like if people aren't adding an external load on a regular basis when you do even if it's light it definitely gives you a good good pump, you know? Because yeah. you're so used to your body weight or you're so used to cycling where it's high RPMs or whatever it is. Mm. Yeah, I mean, that was always uh, kind of Glassman's argument about uh, VO2 max, right? And, uh, well, one of them was VO2 max isn't modal specific. That was one of his arguments is the fact that, like, you could train all the time on the bike and then you would go to run or swim and it wouldn't necessarily translate mm. as, as fluidly to those other things. Like you could be gasping for air if you don't uh, put yourself into that, that situation. The other thing was 
he was uh, always very um, curious about, you know, uh, endurance athletes saying that they have, you know, all of this capacity, right? And he said, okay, well, let me, let me mix in a, a, a barbell to this equation, a light barbell. And now let me see you do your runs. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. And then in particular, when you talk about cardio, like swimming requires so much technical proficiency. Mm. And if you don't know how to breathe and swim, you're in a lot of trouble. And then running too. Like if you don't know how to run, if you don't, if you don't expose yourself to those domains, you're, it's, it's going to be tough to be good at them, even if you have a high VO2 max. Mm. Did you guys see that they recently made another set of changes to the, the CrossFit game season? Yeah. <laughs> the, the way I read it, and I read like just a couple sentences on the morning chalk up, was that it's kind of going back to like a regionals-esque format because there's going to be a set amount of whatever sanctionals, but they're going to be um, same programming across again. Hmm. So it's not going to be like, you know, Wadapalooza will have these workouts and Granite Games will have this. It'll be again like these are the semifinal workouts. Yeah, except for I think some international events. So I don't know if you noticed, but like a week. So we should note that, you know, I think CrossFit needs to recognize that they weren't the ones that released the initial information. Morning Chalkup was the one that released the initial information, which I think is is unfortunate, right? That That the games should have been in control of that communication. I think they would agree with that. Oh, so, Morning Chalk Up broke the story on it? Morning Chalk, Morning Chalk Up broke the story because they talked to an official at the city of um, Birmingham, Alabama. And mm. so, I, you know, that's a really good option. That's a really good example for CrossFit of how they could, in the future, clean up communication where they could control the narrative. Morning Chalk Up controlled the narrative. Then, then the games had to react and then come out with their own stuff, right? Mm. So... Anyways, but basically you're talking about it moving to Alabama breaking. Oh yeah. Cause I heard that that actually broke first on Savon's podcast. Whether it broke on Savon's podcast. Yeah. Or yeah, yeah, Chaka, yeah. Sure. It didn't it break. It wasn't an announcement from CrossFit HQ. From CrossFit HQ. Right. Sure. Yeah. Sure, sure. So, so I think that that's an area of improvement and because then they could have controlled the narrative. Like, Hey guys, everybody's, com- everybody's complaining about humidity, but guess what? The entire event's going to be indoors as an example. I'm, I'm, I'm just, cause supposedly it's like a 75,000 square foot giant or, or bigger um, place with indoor swimming, indoor track, all kinds of stuff. So that kind of breaks down this idea of humidity that people were complaining about from a heat perspective. Mm. But I think that what I read was that they are kind of bringing back regionals in the sense that you're going to have the same type of workouts between all of them, which I think is good, except for some international. And the way they segmented out the geography is kind of interesting. So um, I'll have to take, uh, yeah. It's, I saw Kara, uh, Kara Saunders posted oh yeah, she something, pretty, but she, she was pretty fired up about not being... Australia not being recognized as like a top tier um, CrossFit country. You know, the thing that, um, and listen, I'm not fucking making any of these decisions and I'm sure that there's a whole list of factors and it's way more complicated than it seems on the surface. And there's a lot of uh, different variables involved, but we're talking about how many years of the CrossFit games at this point, right? How many? Two thousand seven was the first one. Two thousand. Yeah, so three to ten, thirteen, uh, fifteen, fifteen. Yeah, we're talking fifteen <laughs> years of a sport to ha- to still have these qualifying changes happening. I f- I feel like you, you don't have that many more of these bullets that you can spend in changing the format of the sport before before the people in the sport start to go like, okay, what the what the hell is going on? Like, when are we actually going to have a system? that we know that this is how it works. And then for fans, like even dude, three people who have invested their lives into (laughs) functional fitness slash CrossFit. I don't know what the fuck is going on. I couldn't tell you with a gun to my head, what the, the qualifying mechanism looks like. How do you get there? What are the events? How does a casual fan, you understand you, it's an area of opportunity to say the least. So yeah. 750,000 square feet. I, I misspoke. I said 75,000. I That's thought that sounded difference. pretty small. <laughs> I thought that sounded pretty small. <laughs> One warehouse. Yeah. So 750,000 square foot um, of possibilities for the 2024 CrossFit games. I think that you're right. I think you said something that stands out to me is like, the fans and the athletes have kind of like just figured it's just going to keep evolving. Like even when I was competing, we went from sanctionals to like getting rid of sanctionals to regionals, but then they at least had a system for like three or four years. Yeah. The regional system was. Yeah. And then they kind of pivoted and this and that. And I think that you said it best, like how many more times can they do it? I think very few, like very few less because it also, you know, from a spectator perspective, you, you want to bitch and complain and be like, I can't recognize what's going on. But 
let's talk about the athletes. Like imagine people who are really trying to like dedicate their life to the sport, but yet he constantly keeps moving. If that pylon or that date or that geographical location or whatever it is keeps changing, like that's really difficult for them too. So I think to keep athletes in the sport, to keep new athletes engaged, they're gonna need to come up with something and stick with it for a while, Mm. at at least a few years. Isn't the, because thinking about the original reason why they moved away from regionals, which supposedly was losing a lot of money, like you had the regionals that like a lot of people went to, but then it cost just as much to host the regionals that no one went to and the CrossFit Games were losing a lot of money there. What seems like happened is, you know, they, whatever you want to call it, privatized or like outsourced mm. the regionals to, you know, the Wadapaloozas, Granite Games, all these events. But part of the headlines that came out this year that I saw were that yeah, athletes aren't money. getting paid. Yeah. Like athletes are still waiting for the prize purse yeah. from a lot of these oh, events. Yeah. So what that tells me is that, you know, these events just don't make money. And so what's the solution there? Because obviously you get more money by getting more people to spectate, but you need, like you guys said, a really good structure for a few years to get you know people to even expect that, hey, I know I'm gonna go to regionals next year. I can plan for it as a spectator because it's not changing every five seconds. So it kind of becomes like a chicken and egg conversation yeah. of like, how do you get the people to go enough to grow these events so that they can be like, you know, not have to change all the time, but don't you have to change them and make them consistent and expect it to actually get more people there? How do you, how do you handle that? It's tough. The, the whole, um, the whole event, uh, not paying the athletes is a really, really fucked up situation. That's crazy. Because what, and I don't know the exact name of the, the event that we're talking about, but I read, I read the article and there what, is there is more than one though, right? Or is it just one? Uh, I don't know. I I don't, I'm not going to name names either. Allegedly, 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 what happened was they made the prize purses off of the projected ticket sales right. of oh, no. attendees. <laughs> right. So you're talking about Enron. That's what Enron did. Enron fucking went and said, "This is the amount of money that we think we're going to make. So this is what we're going to report as our company's value." That's like, AKA fraud. Like you can't do that. That's not allowed. You're not allowed well, to you do can, that. You can make the prize purse based on your projected earnings as long as you are um, still going to pay out that prize purse. Like even if you don't make the same projected earnings. Jason, that would be like us sitting here and going like, okay, we're gonna, let's invite the world's fittest people into this podcast room and we're gonna give out a million dollars worth of prizes. And they all show up and they compete and they go, okay, where's the million dollars? We go, oh, you know what, actually, we didn't really have a plan that we thought no. was feasible to work to pay you the million dollars, but no, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, like, it's a, like like if you're gonna say you're gonna drop 30 G's, yeah, or you gotta pony up, you gotta pay you, the money. You have to pay the money. Yeah, and 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 that's not good for the sport, and it's not good for it's not good for the individual, it's not good for the event, it's not good for so many different things. But you know, back to the point about you know events making money, and this is a bigger conversation about you know, just because people love something doesn't mean they should necessarily pursue it as a business. Mm. You know, people could love going to events. People could love the sport of CrossFit, but it doesn't mean that you should be hosting. Like, I mean, Grid League is a great example of this. You know, our friends over at Wattify, they invested into the Philadelphia something. I can't remember the name. Grid League. But they invested a lot of money into it because they were passionate, they were stoked. And, but the thing about these events are it's, it's a hard business. Like events is a tough business. You talk to anybody in the event space and they would say that. And so what makes you think that someone who just loves fitness could put on an event? And I think that CrossFit coming in and taking over potentially regionals, I think makes sense because what they could do is they could scale out the revenue model. So if you think about the way CrossFit can make money off the CrossFit games, if you have two, 300,000 people participating in the worldwide open paying $20, you're generating, you know, multiple millions of dollars in revenue that you could then disperse across to support the regionals, to support the CrossFit Games as an example. But these smaller locations, they don't have their own online opens and the ones that do, they're not doing extremely well and they're not driving enough revenue because the actual spectators who come in and do it, I don't think you're driving enough sales to to support this long-term. So I think CrossFit has to step in at some point. Yeah, I I mean, I, I would think that fewer, bigger events would be the way to go. You know, like saying that there's a East Coast United States event and a West Coast United States event. There's a Europe, Northern Europe, Southern Europe, Eastern Europe, Western Europe. There's a Asia event. There's an Africa event, like whatever, just a few. And then saying, bring 
everybody, get everybody who qualifies, whatever the qualifying mechanism is. And if you're in that geographic region that the line's drawn, you go there. Because then that pulls in all of these people from all these fans, from all these states and all these countries to just go to one event as opposed to having, yeah. you know, 15 I think, of them I think that's where they're, they're heading towards. Like, I do think the changes in general were well received by the athletes, mm. I think. Um, but, uh, yeah, man, it's all about communication. You know, I think that they just need to streamline communication and explain the why and the, the vision, you know, like they're, they're still gonna be putting out more information. They want to get this information out as quickly as they could. But I just think that, you know, if you communicate effectively, I think it, it creates less confusion. Anyways. Yeah. I, uh, Ariel and I, my, my wife and I, we, when we did the whole year in the Airstream, we actually spent a month in Birmingham, Alabama. How'd you like it? On the way to Texas. The thing is, we were there in Jan- yeah, January, early January. So it was nice. It was nice because the weather was nice. And it was actually a cool, like, college-type town. Really, really good food. Really great barbecue. Um, so it was a cool space. Like, I was – when they announced it, I was like, oh, I remember being in Birmingham. Like, it was actually – we didn't have any expectations for it. It was just on the way to Texas, which is where we were going. Yeah. And we were, like, really pleasantly surprised. But I can see it being a completely different scenario in August. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of another, I don't want to say second tier city, but it's kind of a similar blueprint I mean, that they ran in, in Madison, right? Small small city, um, probably got a good good deal from the uh, request for proposal that they put out. Sure. They must have gotten a good deal from yeah. the city. Um, it's funny, and in this new podcast room, someone's in the open gym next, like downstairs, and they were just bumping Metallica, so I just turned it down on them. They're... They're cranking up the sodas, but uh, yeah, they must have gotten some type of good deal or whatever it was. It had but, to have been. I mean, look, man, you know, people at HQ, they got to make the best decision for where they think the sports going to go in the future. Um, and I think that ultimately they just need to all sit down and say, hey, what are we trying to accomplish here? Where do we want to go? And clearly communicate that to all the all the stakeholders and then just rock and roll, man. Mm. It's just, they got to figure that out. Yeah, I mean, it, I, I guess the there's a comparison between like, jiu-jitsu you know athletes going into jiu-jitsu gym. jiu-jitsu Man, it was only a matter and, of time and it was then, only a matter of time 20, 20 minutes, minutes in. 20 well minutes. I'm, I'm kind of thinking about like so you have the, you have these humongous events right for the crossfit games and you have this thing that's very competitive and it only exists at the highest level and then you have all of these gyms around the world who are doing crossfit functional training but they're doing it at a level that is non-comparable to what happens at the games. So the highest level expression of CrossFit at the games is something that you never would see in an average gym, right? They do things, they do movements, they do weights, they do types of workouts, the types of people that are there competing. It's, there's a very stark difference between what happens there and then what happens when you walk in to take a class at a CrossFit gym. And I was trying to think of like an example of a similar type of um, structure. And like in jujitsu, Jason and I are both uh, jujitsu practitioners. You have these big events like these ADCCs, these Abu Dhabi Combat Club events where thousands of competitors come and compete at the highest level. But then when you go into like an average jujitsu gym, like you're not necessarily seeing that type of um, quality of jujitsu. But even in that example, it's still this it's like the same techniques like they're not doing anything different they're not introducing like oh you have to now do this thing before you fight this guy it's just like no it's just doing jujitsu like i'm just trying to reconcile in my head this difference between what happens at the games and then like what happens in gyms and whether or not like the average person understands that like there's a difference yeah when i go to crossfit like this is not what i'm gonna do yeah i was talking to don about this yesterday actually the and, new CEO? Yeah. I was talking to him about, you know, branding the CrossFit Games, Fittest on Earth, and just discussing, you know, my perspective on it. But I think that the CrossFit Games team just needs to sit down again and say, where are our guardrails and what are we trying to accomplish? Do we want to test the fittest on earth by giving them random events right at that moment? Or do we want to highlight the athletes, storytell around the athletes, and allow them to thrive when they're at the competition? And there should be like barriers that that they stay within. Like always doing new events, always using different implements, it does make it challenging as, an, as, a, as yeah. a spectator to follow. And then it also makes it challenging to, when you're watching on TV, to really, to really show these athletes as who they really are. Like they are 
phenomenal athletes doing phenomenal things. But if we test them on things that just don't make them look effective, it's not a good look. So we, the, the games just need to figure out where they want to live. Yeah. And I'm not here to say one way or another. A question. Let me ask you guys. Why would I understand that the games is a test of athleticism. It's a test of overall fitness. That's what they're trying to do. They're trying to find the fittest human being on earth. I think you can make an argument whether or not that actually is what happens there and comparing it to, you know, other human beings that are out there doing other things, blah, blah, blah. You know, it would be very hard to say that the person who's doing CrossFit is the, the fittest person on earth when you compare them maybe to somebody who does like winter sports or ski. Like if there's other things that get involved, you know what I'm saying? Like it's very hard to create that standard. Why wouldn't they just try to create the best CrossFitter on earth? You know, like wh why wouldn't you go, let's get all of these people who participate in this thing that we all do and we're going to keep all of the tests around the same type of movements, the same patterns, the same workouts that you see in CrossFit program. And let's test these guys to the max on these things and give them 15 events and see who comes out on top. Like why, why do we have to be chasing down who's the fittest on earth? Why does that, why does that necessarily matter? Is it just a, to test? Cause the, the well, it matters because that's the way it was started. Right? I know, but like the yeah, people yeah. who are training for the games aren't necessarily just training doing CrossFit. So it's like now you're kind of like talking past yourself in terms of like, oh, CrossFit can prepare you for anything, but you're not training just doing CrossFit when you're training to go to the games. You're swimming, you're you know holding these objects and blah 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 and uh, you know flipping pigs and shit like that. And I get it. You can you can say that okay, all that stuff is CrossFit, but it's not really, you know. Why wouldn't you just say, we're going to give you 15 events. They're all going to be CrossFit events. We're going to see who's the fucking best. I think that that would play really well, personally. But I think that the legacy of the CrossFit Games have always been unknown, unknowable, fittest on earth. And that was the legacy. But as I said, the games team needs to come together and say, yeah. what are we trying to accomplish in the future? Where does this want to go? Because if you look at their competitors like High Rocks um, and yeah, a slew of others that are going to start coming out, right? If you look at High Rocks, it's it's ten events. It's it's like a uh, it's a run and then a thing and then a run and then a thing. But athletes know what they're going to be tested and they're going to go out there and they're going to go do it and they're going to whatever. But um, to your point, like if you're trying to have the CrossFit Games, maybe you just make it a lot more CrossFit and maybe it won't. Maybe that would really allow the spectators to feel even more invested because they know how a lot of those things start to feel. So, yeah. Anyway, I think it's a valid point that they need to they need to come to terms with. Right? Because like you when you're training for the games, you don't end up just doing CrossFit. You have to do all of these other things. You have to get exposure to sprint bikes, you have to long distance bikes, long swims, open ocean swims, water swims, pool swims, like all of these things that have come up, obstacle courses, uh, you know, mountain runs, blah blah blah, that end up being on the fringe of where you could define CrossFit. Well, and not to mention for the growth of the sport, I think this is a really important note. As a sport grows, the time duration that an athlete has to put into it is exponentially growing. So think about this. The CrossFit games are unlike any sport ever. So if you say, I want to be a great swimmer, you're going to focus on swimming, maybe do some strength conditioning. I want to be a great basketball player. You're going to play basketball, you're going to do some strength conditioning. I want to be a great, you name the sport, Whatever, right? Yeah. But if you're talking about the sport of fitness, now you're talking about, okay, I got to get in the water and spend an hour, two hours in the ocean. I got to go bike for an hour. I have to go strength train. I need to go gymnastics. I need to go do this. And so the demands are taking these athletes four, five, six hours a day of training and recovery. So you wonder if over time, there won't be enough people who could spend that time to dedicate themselves to ever be competitive, except for like these minute few who are getting paid sponsorships, or whatever. So like the barrier to entry is so high that maybe you don't get as many people interested. Uh, it's just something to consider, yeah. right? I don't know if that's a, I don't know if that's a consideration today, but it's something that needs to be thought about. Well, the, the demands for training have gone up every single year. Every year. It's so tough because what made the sport and this whole space special, I feel like in the beginning was the idea of like, you know, the unknowable being prepared for anything like, Hey, you know, give us your best 
ex-athlete and have them compete, you know, in, you know, the, the hopper model of whatever comes out and the CrossFit athlete should, should come up on top. That was such a like selling point. Like, Mm. I feel like that's, that's, that's what made me like so excited to transition from like, you know, being a triathlete, being really good at it, but wanting to like get good at this because I was like convinced that, you know, if, if, if sure I have a great engine, but if I can't, to your point before, like, you know, grab a, a barbell and have a good engine, like I'm not fit. I feel like that was such a big piece of like yeah. the foundation that this world was. And I don't disagree with you guys. I just think that a lot of, you know, the, the audience base and, and the fan base of the sport has been around for a long time. Mm. Yeah. I think that they're not really attracting new people mm. and to move away from what brought them on board in the first place seems like a really really tough decision to make even if it's potentially setting them up for like more success in the long term but it's inevitable man like you look at cycling you look at the tour de france like that that route has gotten more and more treacherous because it's another thing that like how do you keep making this race more exciting year over year like the amount of elevation the distance these guys are covering like the cobblestone roads that they include in the course like you almost have to one up every single year because otherwise, you know, it, it, it doesn't get exciting. And mm-hmm. what kind of demand does that put on the athletes? It's a big reason that, you know, performance enhancing drugs and EPO is such a big issue in cycling. It's because like these big events have gotten to the point where like arguably you can't get through them if you're not aiding in some way, shape or form. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, might be a little bit of an apples to oranges analogy, but it's a really, really tough problem to solve. I, I, I don't know how they're going to do it. I, I, I think that at some point they should play around with the idea of like seeding athletes and brackets. Mm. And well, I think that's what they're going to do. Actually. I think they talked about that of doing some type of seeding actually. Yeah. But not having open field competitions for every event, like literally creating like an NCAA type tournament style bracket where you have, you know, head to head competitions on certain workouts and then you progress to the next stage and you have the head to head and then the next stage and head to head because that's like, like, you know, in terms of like UFC and what makes UFC so imminently watchable is you just have these like primal combat moments, these moments where you're just standing across from one other person. And it's, it's very real and raw. And I feel like you could achieve some of that by not having, you know, always fields of 10 to 15 athletes. Yeah. Well, I think that like you're, you're what I, the advice that I would, I, I shared with the, the games team or, or at least Don is I said, look, like, whoa, oh, it's getting dark. Turn the lights out. We didn't pay the bill. And we're back. And we're back. But the, the, the thing I was telling you is like, if you storytell, right? If you get people fired up for the athletes. So I'll, I'll use jujitsu as an example. I showed up and I went to ADCC. When I went there, that's the, the biggest jujitsu tournament mm-hmm. ever. I didn't know all the athletes at all. And I actually thought of myself almost as like a new spectator coming on to CrossFit, essentially. Like I didn't know who I'd say 80% of the athletes were, even though I'm kind of like around the sport. I didn't know who these people were. I knew a few figureheads because they're like really popular online or maybe they get highlighted. But what I came to the conclusion of is the people that I felt compelled to watch were the ones that I knew stories about. Like they were the ones that I felt yeah. connected to. Like it didn't matter if they were like- You're telling the brand guy over here, he's about to, he's about to explode. But it's the truth. It is the truth. It's a conversation like for two like, years. Like this guy, for example, like I've, I had met I had met some of them, of course, which some people haven't met these guys. I, I had the benefit of meeting a lot of them, but the ones I was like super excited to watch, I either personally knew, that's one of the reasons why I went, but I had watched a lot of content, like whether it was Instagram or YouTube, yeah. that made me feel like I got to know these people and I, I felt their struggle, I felt their journey. And so I wasn't necessarily there to like watch them do an arm bar. I was there to watch them like, perform and I felt like I wanted to like be a part of that performance with them if that yeah. makes sense and I wonder how CrossFit does that for new people like looking at me if I'm from the outside coming into CrossFit Games 
how do you feel connect what could crossfit do to make me feel more connected to the athletes because ultimately elevating them gets more people interested i think some of it's on the athletes yeah yeah a large part of it is on yeah. the athletes right because you think about jiu-jitsu you have gordon ryan and gordon ryan is uh the best comparison would be the conor mcgregor of jiu-jitsu but at the same time being the absolute undeniable best in the world maybe best ever in nogi jiu-jitsu yeah. so all of the shit that he talks all of the content that he puts out all of the uh everything that he does all the all the games all the antics all the acts he backs it up with insanely high level jujitsu and beats everybody making them look like a white belt making him making the best in the world look like it's their first day in jujitsu yeah which is fucking incredible but he is unafraid to go out there and talk about it and be controversial and be a guy that says listen i don't care what anybody thinks i am the best nobody in crossfit has ever done that no and i just to your point, because I remember this, like it's the only sport, and this is celebrated sometimes, but I think Community. that it's been to a detriment. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Like, we got a cheering, you know, got a villain. Cheering, yeah. no, no villains. But, no yeah, villains. and like cheering the last person finishing the workout, like you know, like this almost like overcorrection of like sportsmanship and community and you cheer on the last person on like no one has ever, to your point, mm. been unafraid to be out here and I'm like, I'm not here to make friends this weekend. I'm here to beat everyone and I'm going to get in first and then I'm going to go recover for the next event. I'm not going to stay behind and clap for the person that's in fifth that might beat me the next workout. Like I'm trying to win. Yeah. That's it. Anybody who who's out there and training for the games and you think that you have a legitimate uh, shot at it. Here's my advice. If you want to be the number one star in the world, be the bad guy, develop a personality to be the bad guy and you have to back it up. You yep. have to you have to be able to fucking do all the shit and beat everybody, but you will be a massive, massive star in the sport like we've never seen if you're the bad guy. Yeah, dude, I look, I, I I agree with you. I, I Gordon Ryan is the best example of this ever, ever. I mean, he goes out there and he talks smack, but what he does is he plays this like beautiful line. He's really gifted at it. Where on the one hand, you really dislike him because he talks a lot of crap. But on the other hand, you can tell he's a good person and he backs it up. Mm. So it's like this really interesting line where he backs it up. So you got to like be like, okay. But also like he doesn't really throw stones unless he gets thrown at first. And then he just keeps going down that rabbit hole. But like when you watch the way that he actually interacts with people who give him respect, he also gives them a lot of respect. It's like this weird dynamic where like you want to hate him, but then you also kind of know like he's a good dude it's like, he, plays you know a char- he plays a character he plays a character no what's really interesting is that there was a lot of hate on gordon ryan leading up to adcc a lot of a lot of people in the community hated on him especially brazilians because i think yeah. that he had uh, a, a bit of a dis a level of disrespect for the the um status quo in jujitsu quote unquote right like the people who have been around for many years and like the stories and the histories and the names and shit like that but you know, what's funny is after he fucking mopped the floor with everybody at the ADCC, a lot of the comments have stopped. A lot of the, the talking shit about like, oh, you never could beat this guy. Yeah. It's all done. And then he's converted a lot of those people yeah. to well, now being fans because he's just so good. It's undeniable. So good. And, and he's also really educated. You know, like he doesn't talk unless he completely understands like who he's going up against their background. He's a, he's a um, student of the sport, yeah. which I think is really important. But to your point about CrossFit, man, if, if CrossFit could have one of those, it would be it would be undeniably cool to see. And Ricky Gerard's so, probably like the closest you can get. Yeah, I think. pretty close with the the whole tainted shit. But um, right, I mean that's. But he didn't embrace it. He didn't lean he didn't. into it. He didn't. That's the problem. Is he came in, and he could have been that guy, but he was you know tame, and he was just kind of like I'm going to come in, I'm going to do my job, and. And that's it. He could have definitely leaned into mm-hmm. and embraced um, that role, but he just didn't. Because I think the, the the culture of it doesn't support it, and no, it's, it, it's, doesn't. it's it doesn't. And no one is confident enough as as they, they they shouldn't be because it's not like anyone aside from Tia on the woman's side was just that overwhelmingly good on the men's side. Like no one also has 
you know, the, the, yeah. Even when Tia and Matt and Rich were in there and, and also Jason as well in their most dominant eras and phases, they didn't, they didn't talk like they were the best ever, right? Like, you know, like didn't really go out there and say, I don't care who's out there. I'm going to beat everybody. It, it wasn't ever like that. It was very like always very cordial, very polite, very like, yeah, yeah. it's so interesting, I, man. I think it's because of the culture that was set. 100%. Like, like if you look at me, right? Like when I first got into the sport, you know, I owned and operated gyms when I got into the sport. I trained at my gym with other people. Like it was never, for me, it was never about like boasting about how great I was because I wanted to create a community around fitness within our gym. I was a coach first, mm. athlete second, right? You know, I think as the sport has gotten bigger, there's more and more of these opportunities where people aren't necessarily coaches. They're, they're just athletes and maybe they could coach. Maybe they can't. I don't know. I'm not quite sure. But I think the culture started because a lot of these guys in the beginning were owning gyms, operating as a coach, and then also competing. If you think about it, yeah. most of the people. Whereas now there's a lot of people that can come in who are just professional athletes. And I think you got to, CrossFit's got a story tell and the athletes got to get behind like, it's going to take a culture shift though, man. But if you get one guy who's really good yeah, to do it, it could be really interesting for the sport. It's probably, I mean, all of, I'm, I'm sitting here, I'm talking the most shit, but we're talking shit here. It's probably so hard oh, dude, it's to, yeah. to do that. Like as Gordon Ryan, how, how much fucking courage and how much, uh, of your reputation are you putting on the line every single time you go out there and say, I don't give a fuck who you put in front of me. I'm going to destroy them. Every single time you're putting your reputation on the line and imagine all of the hate he got for years and years and years and probably still gets from people and just wearing that burden of it as opposed to being, uh, you know, the nice guy, like the, the, the rich froning, you know, on the cover of farm farmer magazine, smiling with your family and stuff like that. And nobody hates rich. Like rich is the nicest guy in the world. You can't hate rich. It's impossible. You know, it's, there's no, it's, probably it's a, so much more it's a, pressure. It's a big, I mean, like coming from my background, like it would be a big burden to carry. hundred percent. If you made that commitment, you'd have to make the commitment. Like this is what I'm doing and I'm gonna do this for a long time. And I'm going to back it up with my work ethic and my performances, but I'm going to be that guy who's just going to tell everybody how good I am. And I don't know, dude, CrossFit's really interesting though, because like in jujitsu, you know, I mean, in general, you know, the time domain, you know, the athlete, you know, the sport in, in general, in CrossFit, there's so many variables that could come up. I still think you could have people talk shit though. Like, I mean, Matt Frazier after year two could have easily. He, Matt probably could have been the closest one to do it with right? like because he was just being so anti-rich and being dominant and being Nike versus Reebok and like the whole band thing. Remember the band? They wouldn't let him wear the footwear at the games. And then, oh yeah. But dude, I mean, it's, it's again, we, we, I recognize it's easier said than done. Way easier said than done. Like, We're just talking shit. But I think that would be great for the sport. If they want to grow it past where it's at today. But maybe they don't, man. Maybe they maybe they want to just keep it the way it is, you know? Like, yeah, maybe. I, I mean, it has to grow, don't these things? And like, they have to grow because staying flat is the same as it, you know, declining. Yeah, did, like, did there is no like, oh, just keep it status quo. Like, these things have to grow. Are Spartan races and Tough Mudders like still a thing? I remember oh, like yeah. they are still a thing. five or six years ago, maybe a little bit more, they were very, very hot. Like it was like there was a new race event company popping up every two days and Tough Mudder and Spartan were like the big dogs. But I don't hear as much about them anymore. They're, they're still going on. I think they're still going on. I think they're still really successful. That's yeah. what I think. Yeah. I I'm think not probably COVID. Familiar, COVID probably threw a wrench in that system for sure. As with everything. As with everything. Um, but I think that they're pretty successful. I mean, as a sport, but you know, again, like if you think about like, even like the people that I get attracted, to, like see online, it's the ones that, and it, it's unfortunate because social media has all these algorithms that make you blah, 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 blah. But I just like cool stories about people. Mm. And, and like, even like you watch a really compelling YouTube video, that's cool storytelling. I just think more, more athletes should be doing that for themselves. Yeah. And then. HQ should be supporting that too, right? Because like even like for example the Buttery Bros video that just came out, I got a lot of people who hit me up who who maybe got to know me better through that video, and you know they feel more connected now. More athletes should be trying to do stuff like that so that people feel connected so that they want to go watch them 
live or or engage with them in whatever way. Mm. Yeah, content and branding. Is there any um any recent sport that has really made it? Like really gone? I'm trying to think in like who broke you know, into the mainstream? You mean? Yeah, yeah. Like anything recent? Because I mean. I, I can't think of anything. Well, I think UFC is a good ex- a, a yes. decent, okay. a decent UFC, example. UFC, yes. UFC went, for from, sure. went from being uh, a bottom of the barrel, ew, you watch that, back of like the Playboy magazine type of like grimy shit, right? Like, right, right. People used to look at you if you liked UFC and being like, there's something wrong with you. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And now it's widely accepted as being the pinnacle well, yeah, like, of performance. Like, well, I think, I think it's because of how it got started, right? Because it was like, it was bare knuckle in the beginning, wasn't it? I mean, there was no, there was really no rules. It was show up and you fought and there was, this I, like I think the only the thing you couldn't do is I don't think you could bite, but you could do, no, <laughs> I think I you could do everything no, else. No biting, no eye gouging, eye gouging. And, no, um, and no kicking in the nuts, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they, you know, to Dana White's credit and, and how the brand has been built and what they've done to professionalize it and create stories and and, yeah. a, and a league and rankings and all this kind of stuff that makes sense for people and imminently watchable you understand and, what's going on most of the time i think right and also get it in front of people right because right before crossfit got rid of the media team weren't they or the story goes that they were on the cusp of like you know a big deal with cbs like you know this thing really being aired for people to like you know that are flipping through the channels to see it mm. like would that have had a vastly different trajectory to where it went, where got rid of the media team, like, you know, all those guys were gone, all that momentum that was built kind of like had to take a few years back. Would that have been different? Because, and I have a close friend from CrossFit Garden City who actually went on to have a position at UFC and I've talked to him and one of the best strategic moves they ever made was the deal with ESPN, which at the time was Hmm. a huge deal money-wise but the play there was that you had so many people that were tuning in for college football on Saturdays that all happened during the day. And then they're at bars, they're watching sports all day. There was nothing filling up the Saturday night spots. Mm. And the fact that they secured that deal with ESPN and now had all these people that were watching college football roll into that. Yeah got them in front of so many other people and arguably was one of the things that really catapulted them a lot more mainstream. So again, it becomes like this chicken and egg conversation of like, do you have to get big enough to the point where you really invest in getting it in front of people? Or do you have to just get it in front of people and that's what's going to get you the eyeballs to get you big enough? I don't know if CrossFit necessarily was at the point where it was spectator friendly enough and whatnot that if all of a sudden CBS was airing the games, like people would like flock to CrossFit gyms or the yeah. CrossFit games. I, I'm not saying that, but I, it, it is interesting to think about because I know that that's something that they were close to if that would have made a huge difference in kind of where we are now. One of the other things that like I think about sometimes is just like how many people actually just want to watch other people work out? You know what I'm saying? Like I think that there's like an issue there with how just the, the quote-unquote sport is defined or, 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 or even just exists where there's this natural barrier between people and fitness where it's like a lot of people look at fitness and I don't look at fitness as a chore, but a lot of people look at fitness as like a chore and they like, I don't really want to work out. So why would I want to watch somebody else work out? Like, you know, and I think with fighting and, and UFC, there's something very primal about that. I mean, people sure. have been doing that for hundreds of years, thousands of years. And you could make the argument about the Olympics and stuff, but even the Olympics now, the viewership on the Olympics is way, way, way down. And um, I just don't know whether or not, like, is it going to be an uphill battle to ever get the general public to accept fitness as a sport? Or would you have to, you know, define it more narrowly and say, like, you know, we do these five events or these 10 events or these three types of events, gymnastics, weightlifting, monostructural. And like, do we have a weightlifting event, a blah, blah, blah event? Well, look at like a world's strongest man. So world's strongest man is probably the closest example, but it is specific events to your point. And there's only like five or six and they're doing astronomically crazy stuff, right? Like people can appreciate the fact that they're lifting, you know, a thousand pounds, whatever it is. Yeah. I'd say that. And then, I think the sport, once it goes through these changes, and I know we like went off on different tangents, but like the, the changes have been made. I think they'll continue to be made. And then I think that a group of people need to come together at HQ 
and say, what are the games going to stand for today? And where are we going to try and get them to in the next 10 years and start working towards that? Because I, I think that's been lacking. I think, I think what was lacking is like, dude, if you think about the history of the games, start off in a ranch in aromas. Yep. No one ever saw it get to what it is today or what it was even in Home Depot Center. So there wasn't like someone 10 years ago who said, hey, this is the vision for the next decade. So I think what they need to do is just take a deep breath and say, where do the games want to go for the next 10 years? Okay, let's start working a plan towards that because I think that they've just been thinking in season by season and not like decade by decade. You know, you know, and, and, and look, dude, I mean, I could say the same thing about our business. Yeah, I, say I was the same thing. You, you, thinking the same thing. <laughs> you know, like uh, by no means do I have all the answers there. I just think that, that that is a requirement for them to think about, just like for us at our company and any other business that's mm-hmm. listening. You know, it's the same idea. Um, you know, I imagine when Dana White took over the UFC as a businessman, he probably looked at it and he said, hey, I'm going to get it to this. I'm going to do this. Like, and he had like a further vision of it. I think that's what we need. I'm not saying someone should come and buy the games. What I'm saying is like someone needs to set the vision, but it's that that beacon's pretty far out there. Mm. You know, you, you, and it's going to take a while to get there. Yeah. Got to think long term. Got to think long term, dude. Um, what time? Oh, it's um. All right, so we have a meeting about some stuff coming up here. We're at our Campbell location. Um, sorry for those who are watching. The light turned off twice. That's a that's a learning lesson for us in this new podcast Sensors. room. Um. But we're going to be out here for a couple days. Tomorrow, we have a competition, internal competition. Super excited about it. Um, we have 100 people competing. Yeah, it's cool. 100 people. It's going to be good. Yeah. Th- uh, 33 teams of three people. Uh, we have two divisions. We have a, a high-level division. Then we have like a more moderate skill division. Uh, and the teams are made up of two two guys and one girl. And uh, everybody's going to be getting after, I think it's four events guaranteed for everybody. And then there's a fifth final event for just the top five teams in both divisions. And uh, just for anybody out there who's listening, like we run these team internal competitions uh, almost every year. We didn't do them for the past couple of years because of obviously COVID and all that kind of stuff. But the real reason we do this is to, to allow the athletes and the people coming to the gyms on a day-to-day basis to showcase their skills, their fitness, have a good time, and to celebrate one another. We do not, we, us three, do not fucking participate in the event as athletes. Our coaches don't participate as athletes. We are there to support our athletes, our members, and help them have a, a damn good time. Dude, well, I'm glad you guys came in for it. Um, I know we got stuff we got to take care of, but uh, for everybody listening, really appreciate it. Make sure if you're enjoying these episodes, just let us know. Go back, check out our previous episodes. We have a whole bunch. Also, MDV has the intro of your coach. If you're a gym owner out there, definitely make sure to check out the intro podcast with MDV. New episodes every Tuesday. New episodes every Tuesday. And uh, we'll see you guys again next week uh, for another episode. Let's Let's keep getting after it. Let's go.